Yes. We can turn this into you and me forever. Let's let someone else ask a couple questions, and then we'll come back to you. How about that? And Jonathan, I can figure out who I want to answer to. I don't need your help with that. And welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast, talking your Houston Texans straight from the Great British Isles. Episode 154, and I'm joined this week. Um, by a man who's doing daily content in the context of this season, John. I took my cap to you, as I said to you earlier in the week. Um, but John Hickman from Locked On Texans. John, how you doing? Doing good, man. Doing really good. Um, it's uh, 4.10 here in Houston and about 10 p.m. over, you know, across the pond where you are. So I know there's a huge time difference, but I don't think there's a pain difference in terms of the pain that has been causing a lot of Texan media members and fans, the agony just watching this team play losing football and build a losing culture. Yeah, I got, I got two teeth taken out last week. Uh, and it probably wasn't as bad as watching some of the Sunday stuff. I, I'll be honest, I've, I've, I've watched a bit of it back in, in terms of just like not in any detail that I normally do. Um, I turned off after the third successive game, going three and out three times or near enough, I think it's pretty much that. I turn it off, um, flicked back on a couple of times later on. Um, so if you are listening again this week, and as I said at the end of the podcast, these people don't deserve you. Um, so if you're still sticking with them, uh, you're you're a f- yeah, you're far better, um, far better people than than the uh, the club deserves, I think, right now. And it's, it's pretty tough. But I was trying to explain this to somebody yesterday, John, when I was watching the game with us. I don't really know at what point the the wheels fell off because you think against Eagles came in, energy, Thursday night football, undefeated. Didn't look so bad. Um, okay, we were never close. We were never going to win the game. And it's been pretty much the the theme for every game. And the scoreboard, again, was condensed versus actually the true difference. But, you know, end of the day, like, too hardly played the second half, if at all, you know, and you got a seven-round pick in there. So, but I don't know where how it just kind of collapsed. And it's ever since the bye, it's not been great. You came out, you had a sort of okay performance in Vegas. And and it's just completely, the wheels have come off. And I, I, I can't quite put my finger on anything particular. Would you put it down to anything? Man, I just look at the uh, performance by the offensive line. The last four games, four to five games, man, they've had a tough stretch of taking on some of the best of the best at their position. Jeffrey Simmons, Jason Hargraves, Dexter Lawrence, Leonard Williams for the Giants. You, uh, you go up against who I think may have the best defensive line in football, the Commanders. Then you look at taking on Christian Wilkerson and um, – Raquan Davis, a player who I like a lot. You know, they just they're playing some tough defensive tackles, and these guys are, you know, stronger than Houston's interior interior offensive line, faster, quicker to the spot, more explosive. And it's been causing them a lot of issues. Look at the last two games. Damian Pierce, who has been the <clears throat> excuse me, the bright spot for this team, only eight yards. So if he doesn't, if he doesn't run the ball effectively and well then this offense will struggle, and that's exactly what's been going on. But I think the inability to create a push up front consistently and protect whoever it is at quarterback now has really aided to why the Houston Texans have lost six straight games. Yeah, it's not easy, I think. And it's, 
It's tough to watch, and I think it raises so many questions, and we'll probably not talk about anything. Game? Did you take any? Well, we'll, we'll pay it one question or one one section. Did you take anything from the game this week um, that you can sort of take any information from in a positive sense and and extrapolate that towards the future of Texas football, where you might be competitive? Yeah, and I think it was on a missed touchdown pass with Nico Cotters. Um they could have got Nico, but uh, just the production from some like when we look at the season right now, you gotta take it for what it is, and you know a lot of people are finding it very difficult to find, you know, some positive moments that you can take away game in and game out. But unless the NFL crashes tomorrow or Cal McNair sells the team, this team is going to be in Houston, and they they're going to have a season next year and the year after that, and so we do have to look at potential players that can help this team out in the future whenever they do get a new franchise quarterback and, you know, things of that nature. So Nico Collins, I thought, you know, looked fairly good. Jordan Aikens, I think he's a player that Houston should really prioritize returning back, not make him their top free agent uh, signing, of course. But it's shown that this season Jordan Aikens is your number one tight end. And if you do upgrade that position – in the future, then, um, you know, a player like Jordan Aikens can fit in and be your second and third string tight end and, and produce effectively whenever he has an opportunity to get the ball. And I also like TQ, the rookie, Tegan Cretoriano, as a blocker. Yeah, he um, can block some, yeah. I think yeah. he's one of those tight, uh, tight ends that can really set the edge. And so I thought there was a few good takeaways. Malik Collins getting to a rhythm with two sacks and uh, – Mario Addison, you know, getting into the action with a sack on, on Sunday, I believe. So, um, I, I, it was some good takeaway. It wasn't a lot of good takeaway, but there are some things that you can take away that's positive. Yeah. Nah. Yeah. I think, yeah, there's some small things, and I think it's all about the future. It was always going to be that way. Um, but I think the reason why it's about the future and why this team is so dysfunctional and why this team is so poor on Sunday is almost anti-competitive at times. There's so many parts of the roster the composition of this roster just isn't competitive enough to play in this league uh, right now, and that's evident from the last couple of weeks. Um, but I, I thought during the week was a small microcosm of when they tried to change the quarterback, it was a microcosm of all their problems. And I think because you had Pep out there in front of the media saying one thing, uh, you had Lovey saying one thing, you had Casario on with 6'10", kind of hinted at it but didn't necessarily say much. You then had Kyle Allen effectively admit he didn't know he was going to be starting until the Friday. So you wasted the whole game week. And I, I, and it, it it's so dysfunctional and so poor. Unless this is just a tank in plain sight, uh, then what is it? Because it's not a functional performing organisation. I think just the fact that you couldn't handle changing a quarterback in front of the media in a public way that was communicative to the sense that you didn't have to be over-communicative. There's no competitive advantage. This team is not fucking good enough to have a competitive advantage. It's just, it's just not the case. So I think it just... It was amateur hour again, and when everybody pointed to the fact that it was Jack Easterby that was meant to be at the centre of all the dysfunction, all the issues... Ironically, since he's left, actually, that has coincided with things going wrong. Now, I don't think he's got any positive impact on football. But at the same time, I thought it was just a really poor way to handle something pretty rudimentary and simple. But it showed you people not on the right page, people not communicating, different directions, and ultimately a lack of success. And I, 
I don't know what this says about the organisation, but it's really simple stuff, embarrassing themselves time on time. They embarrass themselves on the field and that's going to take time to change. Everybody gets that, but basic shit off the field, you couldn't handle it. You know what's funny? Same week, same circumstance. If we go up to New York, Zach Wilson, right? And Robert Sala came out to the media and said, yeah, he got to sit down. He's not cutting it. Like, and that team is probably more, not probably, they are a more win-now team than the Houston Texans. But that same situation, I think, is very similar. Your starting quarterback isn't getting it done, and that team needed to spark your quarterback. I don't understand why it was so difficult for him. Um, now you're hearing about them splitting reps at practice. And so if you're going to if you're anticipating him being the starter, why wasn't he getting those first team reps? And I think a lot of that rust that we saw on Sunday with Kyle Allen just going three and out interception here was simply due to the fact that he didn't get opportunity to practice with these guys with the one-on-ones at practice. Um, but it's frustrating, right? It's frustrating. You, you you look at this and it all questions, to me, it questions their identity or the, the lack thereof, yeah. right? Um, you know, Nick Casario coming over from New England, and, and doing things a New England way. And I think so far, especially when you look at how things have been handled this season, it's all blown back in his face. And that was the perfect moment, I thought, last week to come out, don't say a bunch of words that may not mean anything at all. Um, say what the situation is. Say why you're making this decision to move and stand by it. You don't have to argue with you know reporters in, in, in the media uh, if you're looking at Lovey Smith, for Nick Casario, you don't have to say a bunch of words that may not mean anything at all. Like I mentioned, just say it. And they have a hard time with presenting anything that's actual, factual, concrete. They have a hard time doing that. And they have a hard time, uh, you know, putting together a team that's confident because as of right now, I don't even think these guys want to play football. Yeah, there's definitely a sort of disillusionment in the players' eyes. And I think, you know, I think this season was all about rookie improvement and the fact that Kenyon Green's been awful for a month. It's been rotated in and out with uh, whatever the fuck his name is. Forget him. Shouldn't even, shouldn't even, shouldn't even care. Shouldn't even know what, like a, a Justin McCray, not an NFL level player at all. And I think it's just, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a position where you have to look at everybody up the chain. <clears throat> I noticed Bruce Cabina who had the, the uh the set two with Lovey Smith again. It was I did, I, I did laugh and I, not in a way because I thought it was particularly funny. I thought it was just almost comical in the sense of a guy who's very cool, very calm, collected. Was going to be a, a sure hand, a steady head at the top of the organisation to give us stability. He's now lost that completely by not being able to just answer the questions and get off. You know, you don't need. There's no necessarily any need to sit and, and give it and 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 sort of kind of bark at the reporters. They're only doing their job. This team isn't any good. Ultimately, you're responsible for everyone on the field, Lovey. So you're going to be questioned. So, like, I don't know what he's expecting when he walks in there. But what what, what have you thought of it? Is it is it just a case of losing greats on everybody, and he's kind of had enough, or is it something deeper? Or how, how have you kind of viewed the last couple of weeks with Lovey in the, the media? Yeah, I think the frustration is the frustration is hitting everybody, man. <clears throat> I'm sorry. I think the frustration is hitting everybody. Um, I think of uh, I, I, man with Levy Smith. I, I'm not. I think the lack of 
him able to do maybe some of the things that he wants to do as a coach and, and maybe handcuffed because uh, ultimately overall, the bigger goal here is to land the number one overall pick. That's how they're playing. And for Lovey to respond the way he did against Brian Smith and the, the, the response that he had yesterday after the press conference on Sunday, it kind of makes you wonder, you know, how much is he invested into this job right now? Uh, and, and then how much is the front office invested in him? Is he another David Cully? Where well, we looked at David Cully last year and he was clearly just a face and a front man for some of the ideologies that Nick Asirio wanted to practice last year and get some of the things back in, in the Deshaun Washington trade, of course, but, you know, in terms of draft draft capability. I'm not 100% sure, uh, but Levy looks frustrated, and this time around last year, around this time last year, David Cully was responding the same way. Frustration, frustration, frustration. And again, I think a lot of these players are seeing that and they're just counting down the days. Now I think Levy Smith is counting down the days. Yeah, and I think the last couple of weeks there's been a change in tone, not just because he's barked at reporters, but you know he's definitely sort of said without completely saying it that there's a lack of talent here. Everybody knows that. We're not where we need to be. You know, he's kind of put it in a nice way, but <clears throat> there's definitely a lack of there's a lack of playmakers. Everyone knows that. But I think that what you're doing with the, with the limited talent you have isn't good enough. The offense was exactly the same. Um, as it was, you know, you kind of put in what is effectively just another kind of backup type player in Kyle Allen. There's not a huge amount between him and Davis Mills. A lot of people actually said in training camp that were there that actually Kyle Allen was probably better than Davis Mills, particularly the long ball. And, you know, you saw that one throw uh, up the sideline. Um, and again, it's all when, you know, the other, you know, your opponent's taking a foot off the gas at that point because it was over at half time, 30 to nothing. Um, the fact that he clawed back 15 points to set half is completely irrelevant. So I, I, I struggle when Lovey's there because he's, he's getting he's getting pissed off with the reporters, but he's up there standing saying, oh, well, we won the second second half effectively, which we all know is not true. It's just a, it's <coughs> clutching at straws. And I suppose he's got, to, he's got to say something and he's not got a lot to work with. He's not got a lot to hang his hat on. He's not got a lot to... Yeah, but but I think the job him and his coach has done haven't hasn't been anywhere near good good enough. There isn't and it is it's curtailed the development of these young pieces. Jalen Petrie, Kenyon Green. I know Stingley's out injured, but you're hiding him in zone. You're not getting to see what he's actually got. Yeah, you've got Garrett Wallow um, and Brevin Jordan. That draft class, Barnico Collins, who you paid for in future draft picks. Nobody's contributing out of that class. You're almost starting yeah, again. Playing yeah. So like you're almost starting again after we already thought we were starting again from a complete talent deficit, less than a franchise expansion franchise would have from day one. You've not got to kind of pick a good veterans to come and kind of fortify and develop some aspects of your depth chart. So we're at a point now where we're almost starting again, again, again. So this is the third time. So people are getting... Our, our fans everywhere are getting asked a hell of a lot to even give a damn about this team in any stretch, by any stretch of imagination whatsoever. So I just can't see with the way they're playing how you can possibly bring them back. I just can't. How can you? How can you ask anybody to bring them back like this? Uh, and you might be right. And you might, you might, and you, might, you know, they might do that. They might just change the coordinators and and oh just and just bandage up, get the duct tape out. You know, the bumper's hanging off the car, you duct tape it up and you get it rolling again for another another 17 games, which is a hell of a lot to ask. But I think when I saw Bruce Cabina tweet out that 
Cal McNair was in the press conferences, which was quite interesting. Um, is very, is him and uh, there's him and Hannah because she's behind all the changes. We all know that. But is there a is there a pressure there that's going to come that's going to make a change? So first change, does Lovey go there this season, John? Does does he in does he get the job next year? Yeah, is he is he is he in a different role? He may may, may take a step upstairs, but is he head coach next year? Week one. Yeah, man, I, I think that if he does, I think this franchise has been pretty fair to their last two. The head coach and interim coach, you know, we looked at um, Romeo Cornell. But if he does, man, I, I don't see him just being outright fired. Maybe they promote him up to, you know, a, a front office job or an assistant director co- coach. I don't know. Something how they did Romeo Cornell a couple of years ago. But to answer your question, no, I don't think Lovey Smith should return back this year after this season. Um, I didn't think that Lovey Smith was the right man for the job in the first place. Place I thought that he was going to bring an outdated defense, which that's what he's brought. Um, and I and I didn't think that his old ways he would move aside from his old ways, and and, I, and that's again that's what happened. But my question to you is because I don't necessarily want to speculate whether or not Lovey Smith will get fired. I will speculate, and I do want to ask you whether or not if he does get fired. Should it also be Nick Casario opening the door for him because he's going to follow right behind him because Cal McNair has kind of cut ties. I kind of will cut ties with Nick Casario. Three co- three coaches in three years, one of which still was lovely. I mean, uh, David Cully. I have never seen a general manager survive that. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, everybody that listens to this will know that I've never been and still I'm not impressed by anything Nick Casario's done, really. I don't think I haven't. I think he talked. Stephen Nelson. Yeah, good, but I mean that's that's not agent. enough to transform a roster. You know, you need ten of those guys. You know, um, so you know, I mean, big picture stuff. I mean, has there been a, a couple little pockets of okay? Yeah, uh, but we need, but we need big leaps and bounds forward on every aspect of this roster to make it competitive, to make it watchable, to make anybody want to buy a ticket next season. Do anybody, if they're going to change those jerseys they're going to talk about next year, is anybody going to buy one? Because there's nobody worth putting on the back of them right now. You know, I think, so change is needed, I think, from a business viewpoint, because you've seen how empty the stands are. And we'll come on to this Sunday before uh, before we wrap up, absolutely. But I think from just from a business viewpoint of you've got to sell tickets, you've got to sell merchandise, you've got to sell beers on game day, you've got to sell uh, food and everything you got to have people in there you got to have sponsors wanting to sponsor you got to have people taking boxes who wants to be associated with the way this is going right now so you have to insert a change even if it's just to give baseless thinly veiled hope you have to make a change and I think would I fire Casario if it was me uh, based on the performance today I don't see how you make a case that he stays because he's just simply not done enough now before he set out on this uh, this you know, major undertaking as he described it, would have would have I have always said you need to give him three years of minimum to give a full evaluation. Yes. But he's not done anything in this the first you know, of the first two thirds of that time you know, that uh, projected time period to suggest that it's anywhere close to going in the right direction. Now the prop and the and the, and the problem is the only way you would fire him is if you had somebody lined up ready to go. And I just don't believe for a second Calhoun has that. Um, you know, if you look at the Astros, Click doesn't come back. 
there's a candidate name that they desperately want, still got a contract with the year somewhere else, or even though he's not in the building, you know, there was a clear succession plan and that's why they made the move. I, I don't believe for a second right now there's a clear succession plan in either or anybody's head in that position to make that decision if Caseri was to go. So I think based on weak ownership alone, he'll get another year. I've always thought he'd th- hire a third head coach. Um, but it, sh- it has to be his last if it is. It has to be his last. Um but I mean, but so <clears throat> I, I I agree with you with this. You like I feel like when you are new to a job that you came into a situation like the Houston Texans did, you really should get four years. Normally, I give three years. When I look at quarterbacks getting drafted, three years. When I look at these rookies coming up, three years. New coach, three years. New general manager, three years. When I look at the situation and how messy it was for Houston, I even thought four years was a good number. But in your first two years, you have maybe devalued this organization prior to your arrival. The first year you hire uh, David Cutter. The second year when you you had the Kevin O'Connell's, Jonathan Gannon's, I think Leslie Frazier was in the mix uh, this uh, this past year. I can't remember exactly. Uh, Cully, Cully yeah, Harry was there the last two years. Leslie, it was down to him and Leslie. And actually, do you know it's funny you say that? Because I would have loved, I would have yeah, loved Frazier. <laughs> that would have been much better than this. I, loved, I thought Frazier yeah. would have been great. Yeah, uh, and, and he's been a previous head coach. Okay, he wasn't the greatest. I think Minnesota he was in, wasn't it? And uh, he had a, he had a playoff yeah. year with Minnesota. And so I yeah, I just think like I I'm willing to dismiss the head coach is higher because I think people are in many places that are far better informed me and got far, far closer ties to people in the know in the club have said that both these coaches were effectively not holy Caceres. I get that. I'm okay on the coach thing. I think you have to change it this year. Then you hire your guy and now you're on the clock from a coach point of view, but from a salary cap point of view, from a free agency point of view, from a, and everybody's like, oh, well, I think he's a good drafter. You know, well, do you know what? I'll tell you what, if he's, if he's a really good and his skills are in personnel, he should be the head of pro personnel. He should be a general manager. And I think that's what people keep saying. So I think he's mishandled the cap by signing all these terrible middle of the road to bargain basement free agents who we know aren't good and on mass volume. And he continues to, you know, not improve the roster. He's not improved the roster enough that there was a marked difference from one year to the next. Um, and we can give all the context and everything we want to do, but you've got a, a guy you picked in the top 15 is looking lost. And is that going to take time? Yeah, everything takes time. So, I, yeah, I, I would be willing to give him another year with the premise, if I was Cal or if I was Hannah, and I'd be saying, to him, look, Nick, you've got this one year. What are we going to do between now and the start of next season that people won't actually give a damn about this club? Because right now you're not giving people enough reasons to do so. Um, what's the plan? Where are you going to take us? Mm. And if you were fighting for his job, John, and you were in that position, what, what do you think you would say? I need my head coach. I don't need the input of one or two other guys. Um, I, I need a guy that I trust and believe can execute what my vision is. And from the outside looking in, you and a lot of us don't even know or have a clear vision, a clear path of uh, what that vision is. We don't have a clear understanding of that, rather, what that vision is. And uh, he has to hit it on the coach. I've always just looked at the situation 
funny because I've never seen the general manager survive three head coaches in three years. But if Cal um, wants to give him another year, listen, Nick Serio has to go out swinging. Um, he has to be, he has to nail it with the head coach. And he has to allow that head coach to run his franchise that on the field, how they want to run it, right? This is my offensive coordinator. This is who I want a defensive coordinator. Same way the New York Giants allowed Brian Dable to come in and he stole Wink Martindale and brought his guy. Like, this is what I want to do because now if it fails, it's all on me. When I look at Lovey Smith and even David Cully, are we putting 100% of the blame on those two head coaches? Yeah. I don't think you can. No, I don't think so. And I think, you know, if that's the case, uh, then fine. Right. And I, I, do you know when he, when he made the, the comments about, I'm going to go down swinging? Um, that was, I think that was the Saturday morning after the Friday that Deshaun was traded, I think, uh, from memory. Um, and I think that was maybe a little bit of his frustration. Um, Maybe some of the stuff that's been pressed upon him now, whether he wanted these to be at the building and all that kind of stuff, fine. Uh, but I think he's, yeah, I think if he does that and then this, they've got to say, right, well, who do you want? Let's go and make it happen. Um, I, I I think picking a head coach in the NFL is really difficult because I think everybody just wants to go after the, the, the most successful play caller from the previous year. But, you know, there's no better example than Mike Vrabel of you don't need to be a good play caller to be a good head coach, you need to be a strategist, you need to be a field general, you need to be able to see the big picture, you need to work with a general manager, but then you also need to trust and empower your coaches and coordinators and actually understand what makes a good position coach versus what makes a good coordinator, what makes a good coordinator versus, you know, a quality control assistant or whatever it is. And those are all different skill sets and some people are cut out for others. So I think, you know, Get some, just get, you know. I think I think you go a lot worse than getting somebody from the Shanahan Kubiak tree um, of offense, um, or if it's a defensive coach, I don't mind. You just want a, a leader who can come in and bring a good staff that's better than this. It doesn't seem like get much worse than this, but it feels like even a better coaching staff would get more out of these players. So if the first step is that, what do you think the second step is? Because ultimately, I think it's got to the stage now where it's certainly you're starting to see the articles already of poor. Um, Poor Bryce Young, he's going to be drafted to Houston. But do you do you think that's a, that's a foregone conclusion? Because it looks like from right now, I, there is no way I can see them not having the you know, touch, but I hope they do. But there's there's very few reasons that give me belief that they won't be picking first overall and they're going to get some results together in the final few games just based on the opposition alone. Um, is Bryce Young a foregone conclusion, do you think, come the final week of April? I think it will be. Um, I don't think Houston can afford to pass on a quarterback in this draft. We've talked, we have a, you know, like a Twitter DM chat where we talk, and I've been vocal about how I feel about Jalen Carter. Uh, however, listen, I'm a smart man, and every Saturday we see why Bryce Young should be the first quarterback come, that comes out. And then every Sunday, we see why Houston needs a quarterback. And it has gotten worse each and every week in terms of Houston needing that quarterback and Bryce Young just being that quarterback. So for Houston, uh, regardless of how I may feel or how anybody may feel about who should be the number one pick, it has to be a quarterback. 
right? Uh, I've heard personally how much Pep Hamilton likes <clears throat> CJ Stroud, how the Texans franchise likes CJ Stroud. But I think Bryce Young has to be the choice. And if you draft Bryce Young, I think your second or third choice, rather, I'm going to say third or fourth pick, should definitely be a center. Um, he's only 5'10", 5, 5'11", 5, you know, 5, with cleats on, I believe. He's got a small body frame. This is the NFL. He will take hits. And the offensive line that you have set up right now isn't going to get a cut. Mm. So you got to make sure that you get somebody that can protect him uh, moving forward. But I think I can't see a scenario where they don't take Bryce Young or they don't take CJ Stroud. And I think Young is a better quarterback. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I've not, I've, uh, yeah, I think the my general sort of indifference towards the club, I think, you know, you know it's quite, it's, it's not easy doing this. For it. And, I, and I, I say it with pain in my voice because I know there's many people that have kind of devoted a lot of time and money and effort and, some terrible life choices at the time to go and support this club for you know the last decade, and I hate to see it in this, in this current state. It does pain me, um, but in in ways that um, well, my, my better half said to me this week. She said, uh, "I'm surprised you're taking them being this badly. You're you're taking it really well uh, this year, because uh, in previous years I haven't. But I think you kind of build up a sort of tolerance to it. And now you, and now you, uh, and now I just kind of, yeah, I just I, I am indifferent. But I think ultimately." Like there's so many holes. I think I, I see it from both sides of the argument. I think there's so many holes. You need to plug them if you're going to be functional. But I think that's what free agency is for. And ultimately, the cost to get a quarterback is well beyond one first round pick. We know that we've just sold one. Um, so if you're even eighty five percent sure Bryce is the guy, you get him and you work out the rest on the fly. But I think we'll know which direction they're going in definitively. I agree. Um, if they replace the head coach in you know after Black Monday January lead up to the Super Bowl pretty much all these head coaching over the course of the playoffs effectively all these head coaching spots are effectively filled um, unless you're going to the Super Bowl or you're deep in the playoffs so you'll be waiting until they, they get knocked out before that so because I, 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 I would hate for a position where they change the head coach and give you know Bryce Young or even CJ Stroud to Pep Hamilton because he should be he's the first, he's going to be the, probably the first coach out of the door here because uh, he couldn't make it work with Andrew Luck um, that was clear I think people had a nice romantic notion of him. They paid him a big salary to be a quarterbacks coach last year. It, w- it didn't work out. Seemed kind of obvious. So, like, even if it's still Lovey Smith here with with a good quality, promising offensive play caller that you that you bring in based on the fact you're going to sell them on the first overall pick um, is great. But I think you probably want to use that to leverage to get the to get the best head coach you can because that's yeah, an appealing absolutely. if that head coach is sold on Bryce Young or CG Strout or 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 uh, whoever I don't think there's any other two guys in the conversation from from the, the bits of games I, I've watched so far I mean, Will Levis is not in that conversation it's not even close um, and I think people will go oh well you know the next year's quarterback class is is, uh, is even better there is no guarantees particularly in college quarterbacks there's no guarantees these top two guys will work out but there's no guarantees that even the guys that are you know Cade Mays who I watched last two weeks wasn't impressed with I know he, he kind of dipped up for um, North Carolina and, and I would like to say I don't I don't believe purposely being bad for a year a year ahead out a season out yeah. right like yeah. we look at Caleb Williams and uh, can Drake make him out next year or is he yeah, Drake Mays will be Drake a, yeah, May, next year, North Carolina guy. Yeah, he'll be out. He's having a good yeah. year right now. Uh, you know, it's a couple of underclassmen, but that's in a, a season. 
Yeah. That's next. You know, like you got the opportunity to nail it now. So I've seen a lot of people say, wait for Caleb Williams. I'm not a fan of waiting. If you got a chance to strike now, go ahead and strike because you yeah. never know what's going to happen. Like, well, there's no guarantee, and even a bad team. So, if if Casario's not in a position to to improve a team, which, okay, on and in other circumstances, did a similarly similar or worse team win four games last year under David Cully? Yes, could that? And, and don't get me wrong, all based on turnovers, a lot of it. Um, but it can show you four to five games can go your way that put you down to the third overall spot. That that even doing that again, and that would be progress on this year because there'll have to be progress on wins next year because you can't do that for a fourth year in a row. Um, it's just not possible um, if you want to keep the business, the fans, the PR. You want to have you have to show improvement on that. That's got to be part of Casario's remit for next year. Should he be here? So if you bring in the quarterback, it it gives it just changes the whole complexion, and I th- I think you can never underestimate how quickly a team can look differently with a quarterback. I always remember the day Deshaun got injured after blowing up in Seattle and just the difference in the team even on both sides of the ball looked markedly different because he wasn't out there. Just didn't, He didn't give a belief. He didn't raise other players' games around him to a level that obviously suddenly your roster just looks so much better um, if that's the guy. Look, and I I don't know if, if if any of those two top guys are the guy, but if you're if you're near enough convinced you've got to go for it because they're so hard to get, there's so few of them, and to have your pick of every single college athletic prospect from every pro football programme or from every football programme in the country to select who's going to lead your pro franchise, you've got to take the chance, I think, because ultimately you can work out the rest. You can find a garden freeze. You can find a couple of defensive tackles that are functional that will maybe help you stop the run. You want to draft other guys, absolutely. But ultimately... The GM's top two or three things, one of them's got to be find a franchise quarterback. And it was Thomas Dimitrov said, John, it is the all-consuming search until you find a guy. Um, so if you've got a chance, that you have to take it. The rest of the stuff, as imperfect as it may be, it may take you two years to get it to a position that helps him be competitive where he needs to be. So be it that you just have to go with the flow because it's it's a lot of this is beyond your control um, and a lot of it comes down to luck. Yeah, man, it does. Uh, but they but they got to be fighting the cold. They got to do their job, right? Um, for Nick Casario, who you know comes from New England, and they find a lot of late round gems. I think this year is, is super important for that, like. You're going to have to address the run. Lee Collins isn't going to really be a part of your future. Uh, Roy Lopez has, you know, completely been phased out at times. Thomas Brook has been healthy in actives. Uh, listen, at times, Kurt Hennis has looked like your 1B defensive tackle. Uh, so they're, they're going to have to find some guys deep in this draft. They got to bring in some wide receiver talent. And one thing that I really want them to do is go ahead and get rid of some of these disgruntled players. Of course, I'm talking about Brandon Cooks, but any of the players that won't add any real value to the future of this team, just go ahead and move on from them um, and start fresh for real. Like, if they don't serve a real purpose of the rebuild and getting back to a more competitive team and they don't want to be here, just go ahead and move on from them. 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, they, they need to just find an identity on the ball and they have to stop the bleeding against the run because it just kills every game. And it, that, that that was the, the the most ridiculous part of the second half is in normal circumstances against Miami, a team like that would be up would just run the ball, but they, they, they knew they didn't they didn't even need to be as sure and as safe as that as a move, and they let a seventh pound rick uh, a seventh round pick in Kyler Thompson come out and just sling it because they thought, well, why not? This is a free hit. That's how bad this team is just now. That's how far they're off the top. So yeah, is it going to take two to three years? Is it a bad position to put a young guy in? Quite possibly, but that's what free agency is for get rid of all the dead wood and just replace them. If they're not worth the money, pay two or three guys that are worth the money and find the rest out on, on value deals here and there. And I think, and I, I and paying Pharaoh Brown three million to be on the Browns and blocking and winning yesterday against Tampa and overtime, all that kind of stuff. Uh, don't pay Justin Britt to play one game and disappear. Don't know what he's got going on. All this kind of stuff. Casario, he's been wasteful with money that he could have carried over into next year and spent it then. So let's start being smarter about how we do things, hopefully, and see. But it's a long old off-season. It's, it's a shitty position to be in to be sitting talking about this, but hey-ho. Um, anything else before we have a think about the Browns? Uh, no, I, mean, I would ask you. Is there a coach you personally? Well, everybody would like D'Amico, I think. And I mean, he's a great player, wasn't he? And I think, I don't know where he is with the club in terms of, like, you know, he sued them because of that horrible field turf and that, you know, that basically shortened the, that or, or reduced the, the ceiling edge of Davian Clowney's career after a meniscus injury in week one um, in that season, so was that, 2014? So... Yeah, I don't know. It's I, I I think it's so hard to know who the, the who the best leader of men is. Um, you know, and the irony is you've had like McDaniel's on the other sideline there. You've got Kyle Shanahan. Uh, you've got Robert Salah. You know, you've had all these kind of guys that have come through your building. You've not really, you know, and Mike Vrabel being the worst one because he's getting. If you look at the Tennessee roster, they're consistently atop of the division, but they're not very good. They've got Derek Henry. You got you know Tannehill, who you got a tune of for some time. You got a couple of good defensive pieces up front, and you can play a way that you can get enough pressure with four guys up front and drop seven um, in the passing game and be effective and be really good stout against the run. And that's like the kind of basic formula now in the in, in the National Football League with a big trend towards playing cover two all the time across the league, and and they do that. Um, but they're they're strategically situationally aware, well coached, well drilled, um, and they continue to get results. And I don't think it's that difficult. Um, but you just need to find those guys in that mix, and I think that's where we lack the expertise. But if Casero's been in the game twenty odd years, he should be able to find that if given free reign. So just find somebody that can make it watchable, that can make it acceptable, and uh, and. And ultimately, it's 32 of these jobs. It shouldn't be that hard to find good guys. We shouldn't be hiring a guy who's never should never have been a head coach. We shouldn't then botch the process, then hire a guy in a panic because you're trying to avoid a PR storm, whatever the hell it might be. I don't know where they'll go. Um, just find somebody that can lead men on a Sunday and can coach and identify talent along with the front office and they can work in unison because you're going to have to have a guy who Casario can lean on and trust to see the game in the same way. So it might be a New England guy. Do you know what? If it is, it's better than what it's been. Um, he's, we've not wholly gone down that route yet, so I don't know, but I don't have any particular candidates. Do you? Uh, not now. 
I don't. I really want to wait until the season is over and see how a lot of how a lot of these guys end off their season. But Jonathan Gannon is still in, in Philly. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's okay. And I think. I mean, I think Casario, if he probably had free reign, he might have brought him in. I don't know if that was how true that is. Um, we'll never really know. We'll maybe find out one day. But I think, yeah, I mean, would he be better than this? Possibly. I don't know. Um, the defensive style is kind of similar to Lovey's, but a bit more modernised. So. Um, yeah, I don't know, Joe. I don't know. But anyway, we've got the probably this is the last game. Uh, well, I'm actually I'll actually be going. I'm actually going to be in Dallas, so that'll be I'll probably the podcast after next week's going to be a little bit sketchy, guys, until we get into like newsworthy items of the off season. Uh, because I'm I'm conscious of the repetition uh, that we're perhaps giving you every week. We don't want to do that. Um, but this week will be interesting, probably not for football reasons. But we have the return of <laughs> Mr. Deshaun Watson, um, a guy that I never thought we'd, you'd think and talk about him in the way we have done. Um, he obviously had many issues off the field, which we'll probably not touch on. You know, we talked about it a lot. It made this organisation just another layer of drama to it. Uh, but he's going to be back in town. Not going to say it was completely forced and planned behind the scenes, but let's be honest, it, it probably was. Um, it's not on the TV because uh, I don't think the NFL necessarily want to want to promote it as a as a headline game in this part of their calendar. But ultimately, his first game back is, of course, a return to energy after not playing for pretty much two years. What do you expect the game day? Put the put the, the football to aside because I think ultimately that could be a very easy formula for the Browns. Just run it fifty five times and you'll win the game by at least three scores but what do you think the whole experience around the game day will people actually turn up will they will they will they vent their vitriol will they be will they support Deshaun how do you I think it's going to be mixed but what's your thoughts on how yeah how do you think it will pan out I think it's going to be a mixture there's still a lot of fans that blame the franchise for Deshaun's departure there's a lot of fans that blame Deshaun for leaving uh, the team after he signed the contract and said he was going to be there um, and then you got some fans that just want the chaos. So I really think that's going to be a huge mixture of emotions, feelings, opinions. And I think that that will be the game where the NRG stadium looks a little bit familiar to what it may have been in the past when fans were coming to the, to the team, to the games. But um, I think it's going to be a, a big mixture of, of, of a lot of things, one big gumbo pot. Yeah, I think it's going to be really tough to watch. I think it's, but I mean, he's got. I just struggle to see anything than him being a little bit rusty because he's going to. He's just not played. He's not really practiced with this team much apart from OTAs. So he's had this big gap where he's just not been in the building, not being able to throw routes on air. He's not even been able to do the basics. He may have studied the playbook in his own time. I don't know what he's doing. He's bought himself a nice house out there. He obviously got that big signing check after we gave him one. So he's a very wealthy man. He wants for nothing. How much does he actually want it at this stage of his career? How much does he want to be great? Does he want to be legendary? Does he still want that after going through all this experience? I think there's so many unanswered questions uh, for him. Obviously, with another win, Cleveland are teetering back towards one will be another win of 500 if they do come in and do exactly what we expect them to do on Sunday, John, is just go and run the rock and and uh, just absolutely dominate us up front. I, I can't see any way doing that. I would love for them to be able to build a pull-out result and just have an, un, an unrecognisable performance against Cleveland. I just can't see it. I'm assuming Kyle Allen will start. Hopefully he can kind of 
bring some of that momentum against the kind of one-eye shut part of the Miami defense. There's a lot of talent in that Cleveland roster. It's a complete mismatch. I don't know where Watson will be. He's the big variable, but he'll want to score. He'll want to win. And they, But I think ultimately they can win without him doing anything. And I just can't see it being anything but a clear win for Cleveland. Um, and it's going to be a real low. And I think, do you think that, if, if that is the case and that my sort of premonition of what the game will go like, if that c- comes to the fore, do you think that's a moment where it's embarrassing for everybody because it kind of just reaffirms where we are? Um, and do you think it's got the potential to maybe engender and speed up some of the chain, potential changes that we've talked about? I don't know if it's going to be embarrassing. Uh, what would, what would really be embarrassing about it? If you like, mm-hmm. if they if they get if they're blown out, like I don't know, forty to zero. Yeah, but I mean, it, just because just because of who it is and who's doing it to you, not not the fact they're getting beat it. by an NFL team. I, I get that, like they're not. Yeah, I think it'd be more embarrassing for Calvin. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, is, is he okay? Is yeah, he embarrassed been, 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 to then make a change because of it all. I can see that. Yeah, I can see that. Like, you, uh, for this, if I'm Cal McNair, I'm looking at Deshaun Watson. You played in our face. You lied. Um, this was going on behind closed doors. And whether or not people want to admit it in their franchise, we helped you through a lot of that hard time while, while you was out there doing a lot of these things. Uh, yeah, it would be very embarrassing. It, 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 would, be, it would be embarrassing. And I think for Cal... He still needs to look himself in the face, yeah. in the mirror, and you know recognize some of the things that he's done wrong. Um, not only without Deshaun, but with Deshaun. And and if Deshaun comes in there and the Browns completely, you know, blow him out the water, and the game is not competitive, then absolutely, yeah. that's embarrassing. And I think that could be rock bottom for the whole thing. And then you got to hope at that point, the only way is up. Um, but I think if Cal's looking at this ever since he's taken over from his father it's been a complete slide to the bottom and actually we're, I would, we're, we're below the equator you know we are, we're, we're subterranean almost and, and how far we are away from being respected and, and, and competitive on a Sunday so this if, if anything good comes out of this because I always think you know with every sort of adversity or, or a tough time there's always kind of things you can take away from it that you know it could be silver linings maybe that's it maybe that it, they will embarrass them enough uh, to to just move on and I, I don't know but yeah it's uh, it's it's tough going but John I thank you uh, very much for your time man it's uh, it's not easy I hope anybody listening this helps you kind of in a cathartic kind of way, going to get through it a little bit. One week, as I said, the schedule will be a little bit, a little bit checkered, and we'll we'll, we'll be news driven rather than uh, content driven. I think over the off season, just to kind of take a step back from it. But any final words for you out of here, man? Yeah, man. I would like to say, I know it's tough. I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. However, um, it's going to be that. It's a rebuild. There are some franchises, the Bills, the Browns. Um, we've seen franchise Detroit being rebuilds for a very long time. This is kind of uncharted for Houston because up until they got Deshaun Watson, you look at how the franchise was operating, like they were good. 
making the playoffs, the 2012 team, um, had some bad moments, but had a lot of good moments in the last decade. But Deshaun leaving was the actual start to a rebuild. And this is unfamiliar for a lot of Texas fans, seeing this is also the youngest franchise in the league. So kind of embrace the rebuild, yeah. right? I mean, embrace it. Embrace the pain. Embrace the hardships. Laugh a little bit. Uh, go to a, a bar and just buy a random drink for somebody that's rooting for the Texans and you guys are both in pain. Embrace it because if and when it gets greater later, then you'll just sit back and laugh at all of this. Now, we don't know how long that's going to be. We don't know if they're going to get it right next year. But overall, embrace the rebuild. Yeah. Because if you don't, you're going to be sad. You're going to be sad a lot. Yeah. Like, even when the season is not getting played, you're going to be very yeah. sad. Find ways to cope with it and uh, and assure yourself, I think, that it's you're, you're paying your dues for when the good times come around. That's that's what I keep telling myself. I don't know, you know, what you'll be doing and where we will be because life could change a hell of a lot for everybody by the time that happens at current pace. But it can change it quickly. It's all cyclical. If you're listening, thank you again for listening to Turn For What podcast. He's been John Hickman from the Locked On Texans. Thanks for John for his time. Thanks for listening. Uh, hopefully it isn't too much of a mess on Sunday and we can take something. But... It might have an ulterior ending. But thanks again for listening. Check it, share it, all that kind of good stuff. Write us a review, all that stuff. Uh, do that for us. We'd really appreciate it. Um, appreciate you for listening if you're still sticking with us at this stage. But thanks again, and we'll speak to you again next week.